Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. Hey, everybody. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we are going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon related questions today. Uh, but first, like always, we got a few things to go through. Uh, Nate, do you want to kick us off? Sure. We did uh, DEXA tests. Mm-hmm. So... And people that, if you didn't see this on our Instagram story, which that expires within 24 hours, you just got to stay tuned to that. But um, we, I went through all the details on this and what it means. And for those that listen to the podcast for a while, you'll know that we've done DEXA scans before, which are basically body fat scans, body fat scans. highly accurate body fat scans that measure not just your visceral fat, the fat or, um, subcutaneous fat, the fat below your skin, but also your visceral fat and, uh, intermuscular fat. Mm-hmm. So it normally gives people much higher ratings and they yeah. like to think they are at. The normal body fat percentages that we're all familiar with, those are usually taken with skin fold tests or something similar to that. And we've actually found that almost with, with surprising consistency, a DEXA is usually right around double what that is. Another thing we found with co- surprising consistency is that the DEXA gives you a complex. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, about yeah. how fat you are. Yeah, that's completely true. So it, it is uh, basically it's cool because you get a report that gives you a breakdown of how much lean mass and how much uh, fat mass you have. Yeah, super detailed breakdown, too. It tells you exactly where you're carrying the weight. Um, what the it gives you by your left arm, your right arm. Yeah. It so separates your trunk body, into quadrants. Body. Yeah. The so results. Field. This Let's has been 11 it. months since we first started. So my first result... I was 23.7%, which seemed crazy high. I don't think I looked that fat back then. Uh, in April, I was, that was in February. Drink. <laughs> I was uh, 19.9. And then in July, I was 15.6. Hmm. And then we went, actually, we skipped a three-month test period. Yeah. I felt like I went really low. And then during Christmas, I took two weeks off and ate a ton. Like cross-season, I went lower. But my last one, drum roll, was uh, 14.2. So I still lost more fat. I lost two, about three pounds of fat and I gained about a half pound of muscle. One thing that was interesting is actually I lost fat on my legs and I gained a little bit of fat on my stomach. Mm. And what I'm thinking happened there is my whole body, I lost fat. And then for those two weeks of Christmas where I just went crazy, um, I think I gained it more on my stomach, which is a common area for men. Yes. Uh, especially with, I think if you have higher cortisol levels, I'm not sure on this, so don't quote me, but you're more I've likely to raise it on your stomach. Yeah, I've read a few few times that there's a strong correlation between cortisol levels and abdominal fat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah abdominal I've read fat. I'll get it to sound scientific. Yes. So that was me, uh, Jonathan. Yeah, so um, Nate, you have the numbers in front of you, so perhaps you can help with that. I know that this time I was the fattest I've been yet. Oh, it's so chunky. Yeah. You started out at 12.9. Uh-huh. Then you went to 11.5. And then I skipped the third test. I had nationals, or not nationals. I had baby life going on, everything else at that you point. You were scared of the results. So <laughs> oh, I was actually lean then. I think I probably would have gotten the best one. I'm yet. sure. Yeah. So now you're at 13.8. <laughs> yes, 13.8. Disappointing. So, so if I would have like not had that Christmas one, I could have been skinnier than you. <laughs> For a I day. Think. For a day. That's Dude, it. For, your, your window's closed, buddy. That's, I know. No, never again. Nate's no. and Nate's You're also, on the radar now. Yeah, oh, Nate, yeah. Uh, by Nate's the way, also at the knife's edge. I've got room to lose. So. My weight was uh, 182 um, yeah. for my last one, and Jonathan's weight was 152. Yeah. Uh, so, and I race weight 145 uh, and, and slightly below if I can is what I usually shoot for. So, I've got a good amount to lose. I gained two pounds of muscle this time, which I think I owe down to the fact that I've just been doing, I like working out 
off the bike, just like normal workout. So core exercises, everything else. And I actually put on muscle mass pretty quickly. Once I get close to like a, a peak race or anything else like that, I don't do a lot of that because I really want to try to, to, to bring the weight down as much as I can to help on race day. So I think that's what's happened there. But then I gained 3.75 pounds of fat. Yeah. One thing too, I, I think we're going to put a picture of me from the cross race on, um, on Instagram, but I, uh, there's a, a new one that comes out and makes my arms look really skinny, but this last <laughs> test I gained, no, this is, this is like the cyclist body yeah. on my legs. I think I gained three pounds of muscle on my legs and I lost it in my arm. So, wow. and in my upper body too. Welcome to every cyclist dream and every woman's worst nightmare. I know my wife actually, she talks about, you need to lift some weights. Like mm-hmm. if you're going for the cyclist body, that's okay. My girlfriend keeps telling me to start doing CrossFit again. Yeah, exactly. Stop riding my bike, start doing CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and the one thing also with this that I, that I recognize, I didn't actually gain fat specifically in one spot more than another. Everywhere was just slightly higher percentages. So, uh, I didn't store it in any specific place. So, mm-hmm. but I've got, I'm excited for this because I'm, I'm going to PR this thing coming up. So <laughs> I'm finally training now. I can do that. It's great. So Chad. I've basically come full circle. I'm right back to where I started at the beginning last year. Um, DEXA was at 17.2, now it's 17.1. It's basically the same place. I have very evenly added fat to my entire body. So there's nothing that's like uh, out of proportion with the rest of it. Um, For a while there, I basically trimmed down to, you know, what a cyclist would look like or ought ought to look like ideally with uh, more mass on my legs, less mass on my upper body. And then that's all just kind of reversed as I've uh, trained very infrequently and uh, been, you know, enjoying myself, hitting the beer, holiday season, all that. So it, no surprises. I'm back where I started and uh, I'm not particularly motivated to change that at the moment, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> so Chad, what was your body fat then? DEXA? Yeah. 17.2, calipers 10 or 17.1. 17.1. Jonathan, what was mine? Yours was 14.2. Let me let me just do some math here <laughs> real quick. So I think I think that means I am not the fattest one on the podcast. <laughs> I think that means you're leaner than Chad. Is that right? I think it is. <laughs> celebrate yes. it because it won't happen again. <laughs> yes, yep, exactly. I'm celebrating right now. Like, Nate's at the knife's edge. That that little showing of energy giant. right there just exhausted him. He's that lean. No, I he's just <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna take a nap. <laughs> he's uh, gonna take a nap now. So so actually during that test too, I was actually less weight. You were 185 during that test, which you said was a heavy day, mm-hmm. and I was 182, which was. I was like 179 in cross season, but that's John saying at the knife's edge. I don't think at my height, (laughs) I'm going to, which I'm, those who are new to the podcast, I'm a tall guy, uh, drink six, six. I don't want, think I'm going (laughs) to be able to lose much weight below 182. I talked to Chad before this. Yeah. If I was going like a pro athlete, national champion or something, maybe 175, like, but actually with this test, I could lose, uh, what a pro, a pro deck says what, like. They, they get all the way like down five to five like, or six. Yeah. They get down to like 6%, 5% yeah. on so DEXA. I could, I could lose some more pounds of fat and be at a pro body fat level and be down to 175. To your point though, you look, and I can't believe I'm feeding this beast, <laughs> but you look skinny. Yeah. I look like my wife's. Uh, yeah. So you do not, you do not look like you have that much to lose. We've, uh, for the new office, Chad and I have already specced all this weightlifting. Not that it's going to make us faster cyclists, but we just... It's going to make stronger bodies, stronger yes. bodies. Yes. And yes. I think for losing weight, it also helps. Uh, I think that I had some of the best weight loss when I would do some weightlifting every day, just a little bit throughout the day. Right. Yeah. Not necessarily like, uh, 
It's like I'm trying to gain mass, but a little bit of strength. You can gain, you can gain some strength without putting on a whole bunch of mass mm-hmm. um, to an extent. Uh, not, not if you want to be really strong, but that, I think that helps with calorie burn and it just makes you look a little better too. Yeah, exactly. Not that all of us cyclists look bad, but yeah, but yeah. But so, and that's, we're going to keep track of this at three month intervals. We'll be testing this, uh, to give you guys updates and to see where we're going and, and we're all taking kind of different approaches. So hopefully what we can share from this is just more, you know, once again, N equals one stuff, but hopefully we can may, might be able to isolate. Basically how principles. our training affects our body composition. Exactly. And eating. Yeah. Well, yeah, training yeah. includes yeah, yeah. Including the eating. diet yeah. for sure. Yeah, your 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 spoon is is like a bike. It's training, so it's the basis of it all. Yep. Um, so yeah, that that's uh, let's move on though from that stuff. I should say we are going to be doing more physiological testing next week. We'll be doing our metabolic efficiency tests, and we'll have updates on that, or the next podcast, I should say. So we'll have updates on that, which will be really interesting because we'll get to see when we use different energy systems and how that all works. Yeah. So. We're in the metabolic efficiency test, for those who don't know, we're going to be on a bike with a mask and we're going to be exercising at different wattage levels and we're going to be able to tell what percent of our energy is being used by fat and carbohydrate, yep. which is extremely interesting. I'm going, I'm doing this test right after the podcast. Yep. My legs are fried mm. and I've been sick last week, so I don't know if that is going to affect it. Yeah, who knows? We'll see, but well, I, I, I want to do this test every three months, actually. Yes. Because I want to see, see how, if we yeah. can influence this. This well, is really interesting stuff. And it's going to change as, as your fitness changes. Yes. Right? Because if your FTP is 320 versus 300, the amount of fat and carbohydrate you use at 200 watts is going to change. And I can already I see the questions coming in. You take these at places that are like sports fitness labs or physiological physiological testing centers, something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. where they can measure gas yeah, full exchange. Full on and- We're going to have our faces, you know, mask on the face, um, mm-hmm. watching power. I don't know if they're going to watch heart rate. Or they'll watch heart rate. We're not doing lactate, although I think we'll do that the next time. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, we might. And yeah. then the resting metabolic rate, that's going to tell us how many calories we burn if we were just laying on a couch At rest, basal all rate. day long. Yep, yep exactly. So my, I'm guessing... Um, I will have the highest because I have the most lean tissue and I'm the, the biggest, the, like yep, tallest. the tallest. Mm-hmm. I'll probably be then the Chad least. And then Chad and Jonathan. That's what I'm guessing. That's a, yeah, so that's it'll our, be cool to yeah. see how this works and also see how reliant we are going back to the metabolic efficiency stuff, how reliant certain, you know, each of us are on carbohydrate or yeah. on fat or anything Well, that's else. too. It's, it's going to be cool. That's all going to be based though on your lactic threshold, mm-hmm. not what we put in as our FTP. And since mm-hmm. we're not doing a lactic threshold, it's going to be... You can't just say like, oh, Jonathan's better at metabolizing fat than Nate is. Yeah, I feel like we should throw a lactate test in there. Well, this will be a, we'll do that next time. But this time it'll be great just to say, hey, I'm going to do this ride at this many watts. And I'm, I know that I'm doing this right. much percent fat. Yeah. So yeah. I think next time we'll do the, we don't have the scheduling right now to do threshold yeah. too. But. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, cool. Let's go into something really quick too. I wanted to, a lot of questions are coming in right now. I think a lot of people are going through their base training. They're going through sweet spot base. They're in a lot of intervals with uh, workout instructions on the screen in front of them if they're using trainer road. And basically what we try to do during that time is we look at, we have you in, you know, riding at the the precise efficiency for the precise amount or the pri- the precise output for the precise amount of time. But we want to, there probably is some room to even make you more efficient. And that's what we do through pedaling drills or through improving your breathing or your positioning or many different things, uh, focusing your brain on something else. Relax your shoulders. Yes. I, yeah. That one all the time. Uh, anyways, uh, so there were, there are, there's a lot of instructions on cadence throughout, uh, certain areas and people are having questions on, on what is the ideal cadence range? What do they do when there isn't t- workout text suggesting that they follow that? So what is the ideal cadence range, Chad? Um, first off, if the 
in workout instructions don't include it, I usually try to put it inside the workout goals. So if you mm-hmm. never read the workout goals, take a peek at those. They should have a cadence recommendation. Um, I'm actually pouring over the workout catalog and seeing to it that ones that don't have cadence recommendations are getting them. So if you notice one, um, feel free to, I don't know, message support. I don't want to bomb them with these, but if you notice them, feel free to bring them to our attention and I'll add those recommendations to them sooner than later. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Okay. Um, but, but basically... We strive to, to push athletes toward a, a lighter, quicker spin. So almost all the time, I'm going to recommend higher than 85 RPM. Ideally, I'd like people to be higher than 95 RPM, but I understand that it's a process. I understand a lot of people are coming from a, a lower level of efficiency. They don't have the same sort of uh, ingrained muscular patterns that more experienced cyclists do. So spinning at 85 might already be a challenge. But over time, I try to gradually shift that closer to 90, then closer to 95. And then basically, you'll start to settle into something that feels natural and is sustainable and doesn't feel like it's overly taxing or that you're focused on your your cadence at any point yeah um but typically the, the, or what we're looking for is a quicker lighter spin and it is just what it sounds like and that we're trying to make the the long lasting you know uh, higher efficiency or higher fat burning uh, fibers do the work so uh, they can only handle light workloads so when we start to increase the workload or the force load you start to really drive those pedals down you have to recruit bigger fibers the slow twitch fibers can't do it so the slower you pedal the bigger fibers you use the more sugar you metabolize you basically outpace those slow twitch fibers quicker spin though can kind of share the load between those slow twitch fibers and make it a little less taxing and a little less glycogen depleting. Now, like you said, it takes time to get to the point where you're comfortable riding perhaps at a higher cadence or a cadence out of what you normally ride at. Mm -hmm. It takes time uh, and patience. And I'm sure there's somebody listening to this thinking of like, but Jan Ulrich, he rode at a really low cadence. Yeah. And and there there are always outliers, but in general, Mm -hmm. people fall into a pretty narrow range and that's like that that 85 to 95 suits most people. And, And again, I mean, you just have to consider what you're doing to your muscles over the course of the ride, what, what energy, or in this case, you know, it's sugar that you're depleting. Um, and, and even if you think a slower spin suits you over time, you'd be surprised at the difference that elevating that spin can make. I remember when Jan was riding too. So he was riding 85 and Lance was riding 95 and mm-hmm. they thought that is a huge difference. Yeah. And yeah. Chad's kind of recommending somewhere in there. Yeah. You know, and it's really not that, big, it's of not that big of a difference. No. no. Well, and also the type of racer you are dictates that as well. I mean, some mm-hmm. triathletes work well with, they'll do like a 75, 70 RPM spin. It works for them. I mean, it is more mechanically efficient. Chrissy Wellington. Yeah. And, and it well. works for them. So, so I can't, can't uh, fault that. But if you're a criterium rider and you, it, if at any point you need to be able to jump quickly, you're not going to do it in a massive gear. Yeah, you need. Doesn't matter speed. how strong you are. My opinion is, uh, this is an opinion, not science, is to ride like do all the cadence drills and be able to ride at 85 or 105. Yes, and that's going to help you as a cyclist anyway. And then as you're riding outside, don't be or in a race, don't like think, oh, I gotta be this cadence, gotta be this cadence. Do what is naturally feels yeah. good for you, like a self-selected cadence. There actually is some studies showing that self-selected cadence make is faster, but I think what probably is a result of that is because those people have trained at that, exactly. so they're used to it. That's what you're and used then to. in the study, like the one that they always train at and they do it, and then someone says, now go 110, and it's a little bit, it's harder for them. It's outside of what they're trained to, so of course yeah. they're gonna well perform more efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. But in a race, uh, mountain bike, cross, crits, oh. road races, mm-hmm. You're in all cadences all the time. Yeah, you want a big range of of RPM capability. Right now, all every ride that I do, or I I have to look back, but I'm I haven't really paid close attention. But I think I stick around 100, Mm -hmm. which is pretty high for me. I used Mm -hmm. to be right around 90, and then when I go down to like 85, I feel like I'm going so slow, and I actually feel it in my legs more the next day. Yeah, and I feel like I should be doing more 
lower spin stuff just to, I think I'm like so adapted to 100 yeah. that I think there's more adaption that could happen. Yeah. You don't necessarily want to build yourself into a rut. So, yeah. so yeah, if, like you, if you recognize, yeah. And I've been in situations where I train at hundred RPM almost consistently. I mean, that's basically all I do indoors. And then I get outside and I'm stuck on something that forces me closer mm-hmm. to 80 or 85 and it's uncomfortable. It's, yeah. it's not ideal. Yeah, so I'm I'm a big advocate for building a wide range and yeah, especially mountain biking. That. Oh, you have, you have like in have a mountain it. bike race, for example, I'll have an average of like 90 RPM. But if you were to look at the variance index on that, it's it's huge. If you're to look at a criterium, I'm usually over 100 RPM in a crit, and that's just the way those things work. Yeah, so. crits usually. I spin quick and I quick. Yeah, no crit. low, but you do like spin up and then you got to spin fast. Maybe yeah. like 90 to 110, like a well, yeah. a spin up. And then in all the high intensity workouts, anytime the wattage is, you know, uh, above threshold and well above threshold, you absolutely have to have a quicker quicker cadence. I mean, you, you want to try to muscle 120%, 130% in one or two minute repeat at 80 RPM. Good luck. I mean, gonna first rough, off, it's going to be tremendously demanding. It's going to be super hard on your joints. And frankly, it's just uh, not effective training or, or racing. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, the reason I should clarify at least my, my theory on this, this is proven, of course, but my theory as to why of course. the cadence, yeah, <laughs> that's what we're good at, right? It's all this theory. Our, the reason that my cadence is, my average cadence tends to be lower on a mountain bike, I think there are two reasons. Number one, you encounter steep terrain that just you, your gearing forces you to pedal a little lower. But that's usually not the case for me. I usually have a few gears to spare or two gears to spare. That was a humble brag if anybody didn't catch that. <laughs> but, um, the, but the thing about it is you have to maintain traction on a mountain bike. And a lot of the time that's very difficult on a climb. And if you're spinning too quickly, it's yep. very easy to unweight your bike regularly. But if you're spinning slower, you're able to or lose your maintain. front wheel. Yeah. <laughs> if you're an yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, that way, a little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> it allows you to keep uh, a more steady body a more steady torque on the pedals all the way around the pedal strokes and you don't lose traction as much. So, and that would be on a Garmin where you don't have, uh, you have, you don't have it record zeros for cadence or into your average. Yep. Because if you were recording zeros, that would make sense because you have a big descent, but then it would, right. it'd be useless. I noticed that too, during the money cross race in sack, there was a hill where I was going up and then I just slipped in place. Yeah. And I try to like, I'd actually have to lower my cadence to felt like 40, to be able to like really put it out, uh, you know, the yeah. power is perfectly even. Then I just got off and ran. You know, it's interesting. This weekend we had cross nationals, which is pretty cool up in, cool. in Hartford, Connecticut, freezing cold. I think it was six degrees in the morning and it hardly raised up the temperature. It just stayed cold. It was about six or eight inches of really dry snow on top. And then beneath it was just nasty ruts right and they had steep climbs and everything else and Stephen Hyde spoiler alert Stephen Hyde won um but he, when he was and a lot of the top guys uh, Jeremy Powers for example he's he's not particularly known for having a fast or slow cadence just a normal guy but I noticed him and everybody else they were carrying a lot slower cadence through a lot of sections mm-hmm. and it was where traction was marginal that's where they were doing that so it giving yourself that wide range to work with, it just allows you to be more effective in a variety of situations. Just more arrows in, arrows in your quiver. Exactly right. So let's go into John's question. Uh, and this one is directed towards me somewhat. He says, Jonathan, please give us an update on how your PT is helping your injury somewhat. and how the dry needling has helped or not helped. Thanks <laughs> directly. Uh, so, uh, he, he asked about the PT. I'm done with PT for now. Um, and the reason that I have declared myself as done with that is because I've, I've progressed quite a lot. So I'm more balanced out in terms of my, um, 
in terms of the quad quadricep muscles and everything else, like when I'm pedaling, can you feel, yeah, you can feel it or is this just what the guy tells you? No, I can feel it and I can see it when I ride too. How do you feel it? So basically before I would feel a lot of contraction on, and I'm pointing down here to the, to the lateral portion of the table at your legs, the the lateral portion of my quadricep, I'd feel a lot of that and and a lot of tension, right? Yes. And I'd feel a lot of tension down the outside of my lower leg as well. Now, ever since I've been working on loosening things up there, getting things to relax, you mentioned dry needling. We only use that very selectively, uh, three times. And it was to release my glute min. It was to release uh, part of my hamstring. And it was also used to release a portion of my calf that was really tough. He tried to work on it. Uh, uh, he would work on it for a week or two weeks. And then if he couldn't get it released, he would just use that. But it was used sparingly. It was effective at fatiguing that muscle. And then I would have to do a lot of balanced focus training after that to try to balance things out again. So a lot of like one-legged squat type of stuff and, and, uh, just training my, my muscles to work a little better. It's much better. And I'm back to the point now where I feel comfortable just going into training. So dry needling, do you think that was the thing that did it or just, mm. it, I think knows? it played a role, but, yeah. um, and I think that that's the thing I think, especially when you have an injury like this, you're just searching for like a, a, a kill, you know, a kill all solution, something that's going to handle everything. And to be honest, it, in every situation that I've had with something like this, it's a lot of different things come together and dry needling did help on re- releasing some of those muscles. So then I could really go to work on, on rebalancing things. Jonathan told me about this and how he felt like his whole leg wasn't firing and how you also moved your cleats. Yep. And so what I did is I said, Hey, I feel that same way. And I started riding and I was like, well, maybe if I just kind of move my foot here <laughs> and I did that and then I hurt my knee and <laughs> <N laughs> equals and, one. <laughs> yeah. And my VMO, there's like, it wasn't really in my knee, but there's like a tendon in my VMO, which is the, um, the teardrop shape of your quad on the inside of your leg. And it, restricted me it like hurt really bad for a week and mm. i was just like i'm riding through this because it didn't really stop me yeah um but it just hurt a ton it only stopped one workout early and then you in moved a week, your cleats back right i didn't i know i wasn't i was just messing i didn't really i was just messing with my knees as i rode oh okay and then that yeah. hurt yeah and after one week it went away huh very 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 lucky yeah very lucky very lucky yes and and this is very much so an n my, equals the point one of thing. this is just because Jonathan says that, don't like immediately think you have it and start messing with your setup. Yeah, and the if second working, you notice something isn't working, something's hurting, change something yeah, or, change or, or something. fix whatever you changed. Yeah. And, and this is, and hopefully the principle that, that you guys can take away from this is just explore options and try to find reputable sources instead of just trusting hacks like me that are telling you how I did it. Right. But instead actually go to some type of, uh, or do what you need in order to find it. Don't close any doors, be open to changing whatever you need to change, but don't just change things willy nilly. So, uh, Jeremy, his question, he says, Hey guys, quick question about recovery and illness with two young kids and an elementary school teacher as a wife. That sounds terrible. Viruses (laughs) ravage our household regularly. I can only imagine. Right. Mm -hmm. And I find myself regularly susceptible to illness and more frequently when I'm fatigued from a training block. What can I do to boost my immune system when I'm constantly bombarded by germs? I feel like I'm regularly hindered by illness regardless of what I do. Thanks for the advice. Holy smokes. So I was sick last week. I started the new Sweet Spot Base plans, doing, which aren't out yet. I'm sorry. We're just releasing something as we're recording this to, to do a fix this so we can get them out. But I, I had 200 weeks of 500 TSS, like a 500 and a 570. Mm-hmm. And then I was feeling totally thrashed at the end of my second week. And I was talking to Chad. I'm like, I think I need to take an early recovery week. I don't know what this is, but I was getting sick too. Yeah. So, which you look terrible. Mm-hmm. I, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All last yeah. week. Yeah. I was I wasn't sick. Faking it. Yeah. And then I, I still did, um, 
I did, so I took the recovery week, so endurance work, and I, uh, Jeremy, I'll get to your question here in a second. Let's talk about me first. But so I did, <laughs> what I did instead of doing a hard week is it was above the neck. I felt bad, but I could still breathe fine. I did it all on my TT bike and um, I turned them all down actually too, but I still, I got through them all. What sort of intensity? Um, 0.7, yeah, 0.7, 0.6. Yeah, 0.75 maybe. Yeah. And I was, it was only like, I that's point seven five the threshold for those that don't know. Yeah. My, my FTP is three ten, but the wattage where I felt like I could just go for all day and there was no, it was easy. was one ninety. Mm. So it was, it was really low. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I went through that now was a new week. That's one thing. I don't know if it was smart or not. I'll see what happens next week, but kind of, we've talked about training through it. I've never done that before. Usually I just take it off the whole week. Well, yeah. and you've, you've mentioned before, and I've actually applied this as well. Um, zinc increase your supplement or supplement your diet with zinc. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know the dosage. It's been yeah, so I've long read, since I've, I've done it. I've read that, but I, mm-hmm. yeah, you said I when you feel like you're getting sick. You yeah. Get there's the like a, there's a product. What's it called? I forget what it's called, but you can put like zinc in your nose and it's supposed to clinically. Was it Zycam? Zycam. That's yeah. right. You put mm-hmm. it in your nose and I think the one that goes in your nose has been proven to shorten a cold. Um, I think zinc for your immune system. I know vitamin D is also an immune mm-hmm. system thing. Uh, lots of sleep. Um, that's the, that's what I was going to recommend. And, and I know you, you know, you mentioned the fact that you have two young kids and I'm sure you have uh, Jeremy, I'm sure you have a career that is demanding in some respect, all of us do. So uh, sleep is the best thing for me when I'm getting fatigued. If I can find any way to work in extra sleep that goes so long, even an extra hour, it makes a huge difference for me. Washing your hands and stuff. It, mm. it sucks with, it doesn't suck, but with kids, well, my <laughs> child will come up, run up to me and literally sneeze in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> be like right in front of me and Thanks, just, it'll be like immediate, it'll, it'll be a, so quickly, you know, yeah. it'll happen in two seconds all over you. Yep. Yeah. They're snipers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I guess some options then, uh, turning down the intensity, so to speak, in other words, kind of hitting like a recovery week or something similar. That's if you're already sick. Yeah. Or you yep. feel something coming on. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, there are different ways to supplement that. And there's a whole lot of research proving every different thing that you could do there. Um, and you probably have to wade through some, some dark waters with that one, but, and then if sleep, we yeah, no sleep helps. It's so. pretty, the whole immune system thing. There's lots of articles about it. I think vitamin D is proven. I think that that zinc thing before, I think they, at least they say they have studies for it. Um, I think sleep, uh, training stress can also lower your immune and, and system. Not to, not to harp on sugar as I so often do, but ditch the gels and the, and the easy gets in terms of sugar yeah, uses because sugar point. does cause inflammation. And if your body's already fighting some form of inflammation and you're just heaping more stress on top of it via your diet, that's, that's not Along those not lines, optimal. I've always noticed that if I am sick and I just really bring things back and try to stay as focused I can on eating a, a variety of foods and stuff that's very healthy. That usually helps me, but that's once again, N equals one zero science behind yeah. it. So inflammation too, isn't what causes you to be sick. It's the, the virus that causes the cold. So certainly it's a response to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess those are our tips. Um, I don't know. That's kind of a scary situation. Uh, it's things like echinacea or the, um, I don't think those have ever been proven to, yeah, it's scientifically strongly I, support them. This last time I was sick, I told my wife, I'm like, why can't we beat the cold? Like, <laughs> we have all this science. Yeah, I it's wish. crazy, right? 
Uh, Kathy, you guys are the greatest. Thank you, Kathy. Five stars and beyond. My question pertains to the Wahoo kicker in erg mode. Do any of you complete any workouts in non-erg mode due to the kicker freezing? I find that some workouts, mainly threshold work, my kicker will freeze if my cadence decreases too much. I have no option other than to stop and restart. While I understand that my power output will decrease due to fatigue, I know that I could complete the workout at a lower cadence with the freeze or without the freeze. Forgive me. I feel like I have failed, and she says that in quotes, uh, work out when this will happen. Keep up your awesome f- service. I am hooked. Yeah, so this is the kicker with their firmware. And when you're in erg mode, I mean, it's trying to lock you into a certain power output. And as your cadence slows, the speed of that flywheel in the back slows. And for, for those who don't know, power is a combination of torque and cadence. So like how fast you're revolving around. Yeah, force so, and cadence, yeah. Yeah, so as you're, as you're slowing down, the kicker puts on more force to try to keep the same power output. And this is something that I think they should fix in their firmware. If you get your cadence too low, they'll keep ramping up the power up and up and up and up. Because it's trying ca- to balance that equation, right? Yep, exactly. If one drops, it needs to increase the other. And we're mm-hmm. talking about torque and we're talking about cadence. Yeah, and they'll do it. They'll keep doing it so much and it will come on so quickly that your cadence slows down from, let's say, 60 to 40 to 20, and it, it just feels like your shin's going to blow out the front of your Yeah, knee. <laughs> there's like this wall of power that gets put on all at once. Wall and of resistance. Resistance, yeah. yeah. And that'll actually happen too if you if you just let your, if you want to experience it, let your kicker spin down and then get to like just a couple, like a really slow flywheel and then start pedaling again and you'll be like, oh my God. And it'll even stay on if you give it like an extra, it'll stay on for about five seconds. Yeah. So if I were to stop in my workout, I always let my kicker uh, rear, rear flywheel pause and give it like five or six seconds. If you really pay attention, you can actually feel it adjust. Like the vibrations will go yeah, through your you, bike and yeah, your saddle. Yeah, it's like a very it goes, subtle thing. Yeah, it goes zzz, and then yeah, when and it then stops. You're, then you're free to start again. And here's the interesting thing. So, and we talk about this a lot. If you grind to a halt in the middle of a workout, like you're talking about Kathy, <clears throat> what we usually do is I stop and I'll backpedal for a bit. And I usually give myself five seconds as well. It usually resets quicker than that, but five seconds but is But you safe. have to wait until the wheel actually stops spinning. <clears throat> exactly. So I'll backpedal, which if it's ground to a halt, that's taken care of, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you backpedal. And then once you start pedaling again, you want to come at things with a quick cadence because you will still have, for a b- very brief second, you'll still have some stiff resistance to fight against, but you'll be able to kind of blow through a wall if you do the back pedal, let things fully stop, then come through with quick cadence after that. So that's a key. If you just if you just let it coast down, then you just try to carry on at an easy cadence. Sometimes that resistance is still really yeah, high. Yeah, Kathy, all I do, through. anytime that, that happens, if I start to grind down, <clears throat> I'll simply stop pedaling. Um, let the fly, flywheel come to a stop. I don't even actually watch the flywheel. I just watch my power. Once my power hits zero, I give it three or four seconds, wind it back up quickly. So I try to jump in at like 80, 90 RPM right away. And then I'm right back in the interval, minimal, minimal disruption. So yep. for this not to happen, Kathy, we should probably talk about our, the first question about cadence exactly. is you're dropping too low yeah. and you should probably learn to spin at a higher cadence. Um, mm-hmm. Do, do, yeah. do by all means necessary. See if you can stay above eighty RPM during the workouts. Threshold workouts done below 80, 80 RPM. I can't think of a of a, of, good, of a good reason to support that. Yeah, and if you do feel it clamping down on you, that resistance, and it's getting really hard, don't try to push through it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Bail it's, out right then and there. It's going to hurt your knees or whatever else. So this, I see this a lot with um, new new riders. So we'll have like a support agent here or. It happened in the first time to my wife who never ridden before. And I think new riders always ride at like 50 mm-hmm. and they get this clench really quickly. Oh yeah. And I'm like, you got to spin faster. Like, yep. But I think when they developed the kicker, they probably didn't have a lot of 
people who would spin it 50 on it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's go into John's question. He says, excellent podcast and program, five stars and two thumbs up. I don't, where does he log the thumbs? Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can see those, but, um, Facebook. I'm getting back into mountain biking after taking a few months off of, off for injury work and general life. I was never in good shape to start with. So consider this. And he says in quotes, couch to train a road. I'm finding it especially hard to complete intervals over a few minutes long. I'm eager to jump back into your sweet spot based training plan, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to get a good FTP reading given my current aerobic and muscular endurance. So should I gut through an FTP test and jump back into sweet spot base with a low, but likely realistic FTP, or should I do some short sweet spot interval workouts, you know, three to five minute interval stuff over the next few weeks to get my body used to working again before jumping into the program? I worry if I start now, I won't be able to complete the workouts and fall off track quickly. Yeah, John, it's funny. You're so very not alone on, in this matter. Most people who are new to power-based training always think they have to train before they can train. They have to like bring some level of fitness to the table before they can start cultivating new fitness. And that's all the time with people. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and, well, and it's, it's, it's it exactly us, backwards. Not only if we're new, but after, let's say we, you've taken some time off and you yeah. come back. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's like an FTP test is, it is an assessment of your current state of fitness. So if your current state of fitness is low, so be it. You need somewhere to start. So, so even if you if you have to, as you put it, gut out an FTP test, it's gonna tell you where you're at right now, and that's where you start. That's that you don't you don't need to precondition in order to start the training. So just jump right into it, even if it's a low FTP. That just means more room for uh, improvement. Yeah, exactly. You get more PRs. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Uh, let's go to Julian. He says, "Hey guys, love the podcast. A cycle bar just opened near me. What are your thoughts on spin classes for training? Will this positively benefit your on the bike fitness? Thank you." Yeah. Yeah, it will. I mean, it's, it's cycling, uh, but I liken, uh, spin bikes to treadmills in that there's a lot of overlap, but it's not exactly the same thing. So on a spin bike, you got a big heavy flywheel, which effectively negates some of the force you would have to apply to the pedals. Uh, much like on a treadmill where you have, uh, once you've pushed off, you're, you're not actually propelling yourself forward rather the belts doing some of the work for you. So kind of the same effect there in that, uh, it's similar, but it's not quite the same thing. So while you can supplement your training with it, I certainly wouldn't recommend doing your training, all of your training on it. I would, it's, it's tough too, because like, so we're all about structured workouts and the right type of, uh, mm-hmm. training stress, the right time of year, the intensity. And, um, a spin class is usually just like the whim of the of the, the, yeah, the person on the bike. Issue. You got to get a quality instructor. My and thought too, process. I mean, it's not yeah. power-based too. It's the yeah. RPE changes and you, you might do those things where you go really hard Some and spin, then it backs spin bikes down. have power meters on them though. Although they rarely yeah, use them effectively. Yeah. If you have a watt bike, I would trust that one. Other than yeah. that, I stages don't know if I trust Stages has a high-end one. Oh yeah, Stages does too, yep. Yeah, but even then with those Stages ones, it's a heavy flywheel. doesn't feel quite the same. And, and to get back to, I guess, the root of the things, if you are contemplating spending an hour of your day on a specific day to go to a spin class, you're going to get much more benefit if you have an hour at home on your bike following something that's specific to your your goals and everything where you're yeah, at. It's yeah. it, minus it's, the social aspect, which I think is probably the big motivator here. Yeah, I mean, so I would say like a TSS filler, maybe you just don't go so hard. Social aspect change up the monotony. None of, of those cursed jumps. I don't know what those things monotony. are about except blowing your knees out. Yeah. I know. <laughs> or that you could be dancing while you do it too. I've seen those. So it's in, if you're into that, I guess. <laughs> a good but. case in point is we did the uh, full pedal. There was a, a spin class like test here in Reno. Which they, they're just like a club or cycle bar, like yep. you said. Mm-hmm. So I took a lot of trainer road users who do structured training. I think our, our whole team was trainer users. And we, we competed against a team of 
all swim class instructors and they cycle three, four times a day. Right. Yeah. And we blow them out of the water. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like <laughs> I've, I've gone on some rides too with people who are spin instructors and who, who ride multiple times a day, every day. And they're not yeah, in, in fit, like cycling fit. I mean, they're, yeah. they're probably low body fat and they'll look good and all that kind of stuff. But if you want to be a fast cyclist, it's different. Yeah. No, I will say that's where I got my start in terms of instructing, and that led to power-based training you classes, were a spin class et cetera. Teacher? Oh yeah, I didn't know that for a couple of years. But <laughs> well, yeah, I, I did. They were three, two, <laughs> one, hit it. Yeah, I've never been a cheerleader, but I, I, <laughs> I can't imagine it. Yeah, yeah. I picture Chad on the ones where they dance. Yeah, I could see no. that. Chad would be all God, no. that. No, <laughs> you can't tell me you can't actually picture me doing no, that. No, 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 we can't. <laughs> uh, let's get into Steve's question, um, and we'll refer back to a lot of the information. Information Steve included here. Uh, let's we'll just cover the background. Then I'm going to skip ahead to his question, and and we can touch back on that. But uh, he says, and for we should include the bragging, of course. Says first off, this is my favorite podcast. There's a lot of podcasts out there, so that's good to hear. Millions. Yeah, five stars for sure. Can't wait for the new episode to pop up in my Stitcher app, uh, Stitcher app weekly. Uh, so he says, my background in short, I've been on a bike, f- uh, somehow for five years, started in sprint tries and did zero structured training for a few years. Somewhere in there, I joined trainer road and then started with a 70.3 distance triathlon. To be honest, I never stuck with a plan. Well, except, uh, never stuck with a plan. Well, except in the winter using virtual power because I didn't have a real power meter. I also think I wasn't really into triathlon. Um, so he says, Fast forward, and I'm just going to read the whole thing. He says, fast forward to 2016, I did my first mountain bike races and cyclocross races and had a blast. Hopefully, we inspired that. That'd be, that'd be cool, right? Um, Indirectly. I mean, fitness inspires it, right? Certainly, yeah. I, I bought a Trek Top Fuel 9.8 SL. That's a nice bike. In July, and used it to two short uh, XE MTB races, Cat 3 both, about seven miles. Did well and had fun. Then did a 50-mile race and finished well, too. Bottom line, XC mountain biking will be my sport in 2017, supplemented with road rides, maybe trying a Tuesday night training crit or two, and then into cyclocross. Uh, He says that he also does enjoy running at times, too. He says, now on to my question. I need and want to get stronger for cross country. I have little upper body and core strength, and I don't think power moves such as deadlifts or squats can hurt. I joined a local CrossFit that has a large endurance athlete membership. I plan on doing only the heavy lifting and then core type days with Tuesday and Thursday being the interval days on the sweet, on the sweet spot based training plan that you have. What day should I incorporate CrossFit? If I had a choice, we're finally addressing the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. CrossFit. <laughs> I was thinking of keeping it on the same day and just keeping my hard days really hard trainer in the morning, uh, and CrossFit in the afternoon or in the evening, then taking easy Wednesday and Friday with maybe an easy pedal on the mountain bike or recovery workout on the trainer, which easy pedal on the mountain bike, depending on where you live is usually really tough to do because you have variable terrain. It's not like on the road where you can just stick to flat roads. Um, he says, I don't think I'll keep doing the CrossFit twice a week into the season, but may just do maintenance core kettlebell stuff one time a week here in new England. The trails are very rocky and, and footy he says, so upper body and core strength is an advantage if balanced well with power. At least that's my thoughts. Sorry for dragging on. Hope my question makes the cut. Cheers. Thirsty Greek. So Steve, first things first, if you're talking about not doing the metabolic conditioning end of things and you're just going to lift heavy, then it doesn't really need to be labeled as CrossFit. Let's just call it strength yeah. training because that's that's what you're after. So then it just is a matter of how do you schedule your strength training in with a you know potentially busy cycling schedule. Um, and then a couple of ways to go about it. You can either pile your stress on in the same day and try to keep it at the same time so that you maximize your recovery time. The problem there is that the effects of strength training can negate the effects of endurance training and vice versa. They don't they don't play well as we've discussed a number of times. So ideally, 
You want your recovery days to be recovery days. So don't try to stack strength training on recovery days because then they're not recovery days. And then when you do your hard days, you know, maybe your Tuesday, Thursday or your interval days, maybe you also do your strength training just at opposite ends of the day. Which ends of the day, we don't really need to get into that. What's important is that they're separated by as much time as possible. So either you're overnight sleeping, so you, you know, you train in the evening and then don't train again until the next morning, which means you've at least rested for, you know, eight or however many hours. Or you do something in the morning and then you don't do the follow-up ex- set of exercises until later on that evening. Either way, they're, they're um, greatly padded, a lot, of, a lot of gap between them. I would argue, too, that this is probably not a limiter for you. They're upper mm-hmm. body strength and core strength. It sounds maybe like you just want to lift. Yeah. I, I, and, and two, there's other ways to go about it rather than if it's really like, let's say, okay, it's really your core and your balance right? You don't need to do deadlifts and heavy squats just to work on your core and your balance. Exactly. You could be doing sit-ups and planks and that kind of thing. Yeah, all body weight. Yoga, um, BOSU ball stuff. And that would all, it would be a a much less metabolic stress on your system and you could train more. So I think that would probably make you a faster cyclist. But I think what Chad just said is if you want to do it this way. Yeah. So if, if strength, actual raw strength is the issue, then, then you're, you're going about it the right way. But if you're simply looking to cultivate, you know, deeper core strength and uh, balance and technique and that sort of thing, don't necessarily need to hit the gym. But how often is like when you're riding a bike, like you, you're training your abs as you're riding a bike too. It's mm-hmm. like, if I would just do an extra hundred or say 500 sit-ups a day, I could then be national champion. That doesn't happen. If, like the, yeah. If you stand next to Howard Grotz, he's the national champion right now for cross country mountain biking. You'd be blown away at how small he is in his upper body. He isn't a misshapen cyclist in the sense that he has gigantic legs and that he's actually pretty well proportioned, but he does not have a lot of mass. Uh, that's not needed even for mountain biking. Sure. You need strength. Um, but it's very minimal conditioning and it's the type of stuff that honestly, I think, uh, yoga and simple body weight stuff goes a long way to helping you get the type of strength that you need for, for that. But also a lot of it, just like you said, Nate, it comes with riding a lot. And if you spend a lot of time on that bike riding, you're, you're going to be strengthening your core and you're going to be building that type of fitness you need. I, I have rarely seen a cyclist pick up CrossFit and improve their performance on the bike in any way. I've, you know, I've and Chad, you, you've, you've, you're, I, you're, I've been that guy and, yeah. and it doesn't carry. Yeah. It doesn't help in any way. It's not as, no, no. And, and my, my stance on strength training is the same as it's ever been. If you want to build a strong body, that's a great way to go about it. But if you're just looking to become a better cyclist, it's there, there's time, uh, there's a better way to spend your time. I have seen one time where it has increased or mm. the, the time is when people they're off a the couch. Like they've never done anything true. And yeah, like, yeah. they maybe have like gone around and done like some 20 milers, like super easy with a the group. Then they do a CrossFit endurance or something. And they, they then they get really train. motivated. Yeah. And then exactly. Yeah. And they start eating right. And they go, I'm faster. It must be CrossFit. And no, like, it's, the, I mean, yeah. well, it, in that case it is CrossFit, but you could have been probably a lot faster annual plateau. I've never if you, seen, if you changed your diet and got that motivation, but you did it on your bike, you'd be way faster. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, no high, high ish level cyclist is missing CrossFit. It's not, it's like they, if they add that to their training recipe, suddenly they're going to reach a new level. And granted, there are a lot of exercises that you can do that fall under the larger umbrella of, they get branded as CrossFit workouts and they're very effective, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, the CrossFit name bears a, bears kind of a, a bad vibe. So, uh, anyways, let's move on to Sean's question. 
there we covered CrossFit. We can move on. Uh, a friend and I have had a few months of weight gain and lack of motivation, so we decided to make a bet. The bet is based on percentage improvement of power to weight ratio. What is the best plan to use or to use to improve this? I outweigh him by fifty plus pounds. Uh, I wonder how long they have because that's. Yeah, let's 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 suppose a few scenarios, shall we? Yeah, um, gotta... Let's suppose that you're going into the summer, so June. June is when you're going to, to switch it over. So at that point, you're going to have about six months. It's a decent amount of time. We could probably get through quite a lot. In general, I think it's going to be probably similar to what I did. Sweet spot base, uh, as much volume as you can. Probably general build, as much volume as you can. Uh, and then some. you could probably just do sustain maybe again then. Yeah. Maybe go, or you could just do uh, sweet spot base and then sustained. And just go between those two. Yeah. Uh, being stronger helps so much. Like having a higher FTP with how many calories you burn per hour. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. If you raise your FTP, you're going to be operating at a higher, outputting more power, thusly yeah. burning so more you're kilojoules. You're going to improve your muscular endurance. And in the process, you're going to be burning a ton of butter or a ton of energy. Yeah, exactly. A lot of calories. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So, and for calories burnt per hour, um, sweet spot base is great. And it so is. is um, Sustained, but yeah, those are big too. burners. All those workouts, a lot, of, a lot of calories, and and not a high muscular toll. So you can actually get away with as Nate and uh, our our videographer Dave Christensen, who's done the new sweet spot plan, have proven you can do a whole lot of sweet spot in a week if you're pretty well conditioned. Yeah, and Dave, who usually, by the way, is like the type of guy to to pick out a fat leaf of lettuce out of the rest of the leaves of lettuce. <laughs> uh, he was having uh, he had a giant chocolate chip chunk cookie <laughs> with me. Uh, I didn't have one. He had one. Because uh, so he did a 700 TSS sweet spot week. Yeah. He was burning 2000 calories a night with his workouts. So yeah. But and what is his FTP like 320? Exactly. So just here, um, just to harp on that point of a higher FTP, uh, there's somebody else here who's, who's getting back into training and I'm about a hundred Watts higher than them. And, you know, uh, for an hour, my workout will be, you know, close to a thousand calories, like 900 calories. And mm-hmm. his is like, he'll be happy if he hits 600. Yeah. So that extra 300 and you go, you start doing 90 minute or two hour workouts, 300 a day. I think one of my body fat things where I went, I lost like 5% body fat. It was just a 300 calorie deficit. That's all I needed. Exactly. Yeah. You build a big work capacity and you can do a lot of damage and which means you burn a lot. You can eat a lot. You know, ideally you're eating quality food, but. And what happens too is I am so much more excited race this year coming in at 310 than last year coming in at. 190, 22% body fat, 200 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot more fun. Like you said, that fitness breeds, uh, what'd you say? Motivation. Motivation. Yeah. Yeah, That's what it is. Yep. Exactly. Chris's question. Most of your diet related chats about losing weight or most of your diet related chats are about losing weight, but I'd like to go from the other way. Tell me about gaining weight on purpose, not holiday related. Beefcake. (laughs) (laughs) He says background. I'm a weight weenie, 56 kilograms and five foot seven. So that's, yeah, that is, that's a tiny dude. That's 123 and a half pounds. Yep. That's a tiny, tiny human and mainly a runner moving into triathlon. I've been advised to put on a little bulk while staying lean, which will help both biomechanics and immune system. Last year, my FTP was around four Watts per kilogram and my low body weight means any increase in FTP seems pretty hard fought. If that makes sense. My worry is bulking up will decrease my power to weight ratio. Can I expect to build my power to weight ratio in the new season whilst increasing weight? 
So this kind of dovetails into the one we just talked about in a way. Yeah. First off, Chris, I don't think you need to worry about bulking up too much. You don't have the, for what you described, you don't have the sort of body that's ever going to bulk up that much. So really any sort of uh, gains you're going to see in terms of mass are going to be on a pretty low level. Um, what they bring with them in terms of fitness or work capacity or the, you know, the, the basis for, for a higher FTP, I think will far outweigh anything that it adds to your body. So don't worry about that. He says, any ideas of how to go about this sensibly ditch a run bike workout to hit the weights or simply just eat lots of cake and drink beer? Yeah. I, I would say, um, it's principle of specificity. Yes. I would try to do a higher TSS plan, yep. like try to put more training stress on it. And then during that, eat some more, um, measure your body fat with a Tanita scale, which mm-hmm. I think would be, or yep. fat calipers. And just for try to scans. They're, they're not too expensive. Uh, yeah. 50 know. bucks in yeah. Reno. Oh. Um, I would do that and focus on cycling more, like try those 700 TSS weeks. Yep. See if that doesn't raise your FTP. Yeah, some. And, and you'll and gain, sorry, Chad, um, but you will gain muscle mass. Like I, I did, I gained muscle mass in my legs. You can use a DEXA and track that just Absolutely. by cycling. But I don't recommend doing it on cake and, and drinking beer. Yeah, not unless you want, point. it depends. We want quality, uh, quality body mass here. So we're exactly. talking lean mass and lean mass doesn't come with cake and beer. You, you can take the frat boy approach of just eating whatever you want, as much as you want. You'll weigh more, to you'll, not you'll necessarily get faster. And yeah. And oh, yeah. it's, it's always Beer's a messy a way to go about it. If you're making sure that your workouts are fueled and you're doing like we're talking about those, those high TSS rides and everything else. And you make sure that you're adequately fueled, you're going to build the strength you need. So I have a, something I haven't talked to you guys about. So I've, I've complained a lot about my legs not recovering as fast as I think my Mm -hmm. regular body does. And I, when I did triathlon, I used to be the opposite. My legs never hurt, but I would be like depressed. You know, I'd be really tired all day long. Um, I'm taking calcium, magnesium. I've, I've tried different things. The one thing that I have seen that's worked is I've, I've done these like huge carbohydrate binges Mm. and the next day it works, but I don't want, I don't think that's sustainable or healthy. And I think that my fire hose analogy from last time puts on fat at the same time. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of a way that I might add more carbohydrate, replace glycogen without putting on the fire hose. And this might be dumb. My I wife feel thought, like you're pitching like a product. Yeah, on you know, my, w- my wife right thought this was dumb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of during the day, figuring out some. I'm not sure how much how many um, calories I want, but having some like pure carbohydrate fuel and doing small doses, maybe like every hour. So maybe like 100 calories every hour throughout the day. Try not to increase my overall calorie intake, but maybe pick like a slow burning carbohydrate um, or not slow burning is probably the wrong word, uh, low glycemic index carbohydrate, mm-hmm. or maybe I should do a high one and try to see if maybe like a, almost like a drip system on my body. S- just, just try that out while I'm on this high base plan and see if my legs feel better. Chad, the Chad? I got, I, I, I don't know. I don't even want to weigh in on that. I it's, don't think there's been any, no one's ever that I know of has done this before. Yeah. I thought of, I could do all the slow, like not slow burning, I'm saying that again, the low glycemic stuff like brown rice, I could do beans, something like that. That's all, they're kind of annoying. I could do something at the high glycemic index and just do it slowly. I could use raisins or like uh, mango, which would be both dried mango. Both of those would be very easy for me to that, do. I think that just encourages a big insulin response each time. That'd be the last well, thing I'd want to do. That's what I'm thinking of if I do it not a lot though. You know what I mean? Just like 
a, a teeny bit throughout the day. Keep yeah, us wow. posted. Yeah, let, let I us know. know. Who knows, right? <laughs> see how that goes <laughs> if I actually do it. Uh, last question from Todd. He says, when doing a training session that calls for short, intense sprints, for example, five seconds or less, is it better to run your smart trainer in standard mode to better hit those peaks? I ask this because the time delay of my smart trainer doesn't let me hit the peak before the sprint has essentially come and gone. And what he's talking about on the time delay is that uh, there is a slight delay from when your power target changes to when your smart trainer will pick you up to that resistance. And it's that that is it's it's it varies from trainer to trainer, but it's also somewhat intentional because if it just switched from one second to the next instantaneously, it'd feel like you hit a, yeah, hit the, a wall. The erg thing, yeah, ramps you up. So, so. you need it to 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 ramp up at, at a smooth rate. Uh, it varies from trainer to trainer on how fast that is. Another thing to say about that is if you have a power meter at the same time as your kicker, you'll see the spike happen earlier because mm-hmm. that like a kicker will uh, it does it actually smooths out that spike, so you mm-hmm. don't get the 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 power the actual power reading for that little sprint. And it looks like you're underperforming when you're really not. Exactly. He says, I'm specifically refer- referring to sessions like Evitts and Evitts, uh, for those that don't know, those are, that's like a, a good chunk of sweet spot work with five second, really high sprints in there or five or 15 second. They're, they're, I think they're just five second. They're five short. Second. And, uh, he says further to that, do these micro bursts even need power target? So first of all, actually, let's just address the first part. Um, should he be in erg mode or standard mode during those peaks? What do you guys think? I, I don't think so. Not, not for this workout in particular, Todd. When you're talking, talking about peak efforts, absolutely. Um, shut off erg unless you actually know what your peak efforts are. Even then, uh, I'd still be hesitant to recommend using erg. You want to go all out. And, and if the machine's dictating what all out is, it might not actually be all out. But with something like Ebbets, all we're trying to do is just in, increase muscular recruitment on uh, just a sporadic basis. So we're just looking to take you from, you know, basically sweet spot or a steady state effort, have you jam on the pedals and just wake up a little more muscle mass for a little while and get used to those, those, uh, explosiveness, uh, that, those explosive little kicks and then settle right back in being minimally disruptive. So, so the, the goal here is kind of to teach you to be able to respond to things without letting it really detract from your workout. Yeah. And, and they're not, they're not big bumps. So, you know, ant- anticipate them. And, and what I mean by that is establish the cadence you're going to use for those bursts a little before. Don't wait till the burst hits and then try to wind up a bunch of RPM. Rather see it coming about 10 seconds out, bring your cadence up to what you think you're going to hold, say maybe 110 RPM, sit there till you get through the burst, then settle your cadence back down into that next valley. Yeah. And I was just going to say the thing that a lot of people forget is that although you may sense a delay in the beginning of the interval, that it just yeah, shifts it back. the end, yeah. So you're still getting, in most cases, you're You'll getting get the, the amount of time. Yeah. 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 It's just uh, pushed back a little bit. Uh, he says, now that could be problematic, I guess, if you had a particularly slow reacting trainer, and I'm talking uh, like really slow. And most of the new ones that you're getting these days new are pretty, ones are pretty good. good. Really yeah. responsive. So you shouldn't have yeah. to worry about that. But he says, further to that, uh, do these microbursts even need power targets, or could you just blast off a five-second sprint in an attempt to actively recover from this effort while working near threshold? five stars if my question gets answered. <laughs> you are obligated then, sir. Uh, I have been a fan of your collective work for a while now. So do they, do you even need power targets? Should they be just going all out then? Or Yeah, you can. Absolutely. I, I just, I mean, because these workouts are structured, I had to put something in there. But if you can do for five seconds, a 300 watt burst or 120% burst, whatever is all out for you, make it that. But what we're looking for here is something that you can dole out repeatedly over the course of each of these intervals and still get back where to where you were before that burst occurred. And like we talked about last week, try to make them consistent. That's the key. You know, if you, if you hit whatever target that is, don't just go all out and then have nothing left for the other ones, but try to keep it consistent. So 
All right, everybody, that covers it. Uh, you can submit your questions to us at trainerroad.com slash podcast or use the hashtag AskTrainerRoad. You can leave us reviews on iTunes, five-star reviews, and on Google Play and on Stitcher all over the place. Please do so and share the podcast with your friends. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Chad, what was your percent body fat again? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. That's why, he's, that's why he's been grinning this whole time. <laughs>